The fourth luminous mystery is the transfiguration of our blessed Lord. The fruit of the mystery is a desire for holiness. And while the early church uh, had debates over where exactly this took place, there were three different mountains that early church fathers said, this is definitely the mountain. Um, And we know that transfiguration didn't happen three times, and so it has to be one of them, and they didn't know exactly which one, so there were arguments for and against each of them. But the the common, common tradition in the place where it's venerated today is on Mount Tabor. Mount Tabor is uh, kind of a mountain that arises out of nowhere, and upon the top of the mountain is a beautiful church, the church of the, honoring the event of the Transfiguration. The, the architecture of the church is kind of interesting. It's a, basically a kind of one-and-a-half-story church, so to speak, that whenever one walks in the main doors in the front, you walk in, and there's, uh, there's the pews as normal. Uh, when I walked in, there was a cat walking down the middle of the aisle to come greet me. I was like, ah. Welcome. This is good. Uh, so apparently the cat has a place in the church there too. Um, but whenever one gets in the, you know, the, the pews are there, but, but uh, basically here where the sanctuary will be, it's split into two different sanctuaries, which is really interesting uh, visually speaking. Because as you could go, there were steps that would go down to a little crypt chapel with an altar where you could offer mass down there at a beautiful little chapel. And there were steps that, would, that went around. Uh, so there are steps down in the middle and steps are up on the sides. And there was an altar up top as well. And so if you're sitting in the pews, you could be theoretically watching mass up top or down, or bo- down bottom, or if they allowed it, both. Uh, so it was a, kind of a really visually interesting place. But it was also, I thought, a great t- depiction, architecturally speaking, of the reality of the transfiguration, because the transfiguration is, it's God in our flesh, and God revealing that, that great mystery. And so how, how perfect to have the two uh, there together, and the body of the church being the place where, where the apostles would be, essentially, seeing this. Uh, and so the, the architecture of the church kind of speaks of the mystery of, of the, the incarnation, of the revelation of, of God in the person of Jesus, uh, and, the, and the apostles uh, being witnesses to these things. I had a beautiful opportunity to offer Mass in the, the, lower, the lower chapel, uh, and to be able to, to offer, the, offer the Holy Mastery there was a great gift. It was beautiful. It was not outside. The, fitting, the vestments and the vessels were fitting. I was a very happy camper that day. I was like, this is good Mass. Every Mass is good Mass, but I think y'all know me and my pickiness, as we've said. But the fact is that after the Mass, the three priests, we processed back and went to the sacristy to divest uh, and came back, and, and our, our tour guide was, was um, giving a little teaching, kind of explaining the, he was explaining the apse of the church, and, you know, the, you know this is, notice the symbolism in this, in this mosaic, and notice that one, and notice this, and, that. and he, was, he was kind of explaining some of these things in light of the transfiguration, when, when out of nowhere comes a little, a little monk, uh, one of the little Franciscan, Franciscan friars who are entrusted with the church, with his robes and rosary flapping away, going, no! No, no teach, no teach, <laughs> which is Italian-American for no teaching in the church, right? <laughs> so you have to teach outside the church. Inside the church is for praying. Talking is outside. Yes, brother. <laughs> and so we all went out of the church. There was a little moment there for me that a, a little touch of the, of the sorrow of Peter, James, and John that they would have experienced, that the joy of seeing the Lord, seeing the transfiguration, saying, okay, now, now we're done. We have to go back down the mountain. 
because uh, I was like, great, we're in the church. This is a beautiful church. We're going to sit here. We can pray for a while. The Blessed Sacrament is here. It's fantastic. And our tour guide says, okay, good. We're going to go outside. <sighs> okay, Jesus. Here we go outside, right? So we went outside, had a, had a great talk. Uh, the cat lingered around a little bit more around us, and apparently it's his church, uh, and the people just come to visit him a little bit here and there. But afterwards, we got to experience also the same thing that the apostles would have experienced um, of walking down the mountain. Because the, the mountain is really steep, and there are lots of cutbacks in the road, so you can't drive a full bus up there, so you have to take a little mini bus, and they only fit 16 passengers because of the insurance regulations. And so 16 people at a time go up the mountain, and whenever you get there in the morning, they just start shuttling people up, and they just piling people up at the top of the mountain. The fun part is, at 12 noon, the bus shuttles take siesta. And however many people are at the top of the mountain, they don't care, because the bus drivers are on siesta. They're taking a break. So if you're stuck there at the top of the mountain and, you, and it's, at, it's 12 noon and there's no more buses come, you've got two options. You can either wait and wait for the bus to come in an hour or so, or you can walk down the mountain and get to your bus and move on with your day. And so we got to walk down the mountain, which my knees did not appreciate, but my lungs certainly appreciated. And I think all of you people probably can appreciate because if I had tried to walk up the mountain, I probably would have died and they would have had to just bury me there. So... Indeed, we survived by God's grace and had the opportunity to, uh, to descend the mountain and to contemplate the things that we had just seen, contemplate and praying the Holy Rosary as we did. And uh, just as our disciples, as the disciples would have done with our Lord, as they're descending, kind of reflecting upon these things with each other, what are these mysteries that we've seen, just in awe of, of what had just happened? The event itself, of course, is familiar to us. It's the story, a bit of, a bit of the, the retelling of the story, just as a refresher and to be able to connect the points to the latter part of the homily, is that our blessed Lord took Peter, James, and John and went up on the mountaintop. And there he was transfigured before them, and his face radiated like the sun, and his clothes were dazzling white. On his right and his left were Moses and Elijah, the two great prophets, the law and the prophets of the Old Testament embodied in those two persons. Peter rejoices at seeing these things, and he says, Lord, it is good that we are here. Let us set up three tents so we can, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. In other words, let's stay here. This is in, in absolutely incredible. Let's stay here. Who cares about the other nine, right? This is amazing. And Peter is rejoicing in seeing the Lord. We know that shortly after this, a voice comes from the heavens as uh, the scriptures tell us that in the middle of Peter speaking these things, a voice that comes from the heaven, the Father's voice, this is my beloved son, listen to him. The apostles cover their face in fear of these great mysteries that are taking place right before them. And then the Lord comes to them and he tells them not to be afraid, but to get up. And they look up once again and they see Jesus only, the scriptures tell us both in the sense that Moses and Elijah have both gone, but also that, that now their, their focus is upon the Lord even more than it ever has been because they realize that things have not had they, exactly how they thought they were. Things were not how they had, had appeared to be. The Lord's transfiguration showed them something absolutely marvelous, and they were in awe of this mystery. A couple of things, implications for the, uh, for the apostles in this point. One, it was the clear revelation that Jesus is God, right? that he shows his glory. 
Moses also climbed up on a mountain, and there were, there were those who were with him. And Moses climbed the mountain, beheld the face of God, and he was radiant too. But he radiated as a reflection of God's holiness. Jesus radiates because he is God's holiness. He's the sun radiating upon everyone else around him, and his clothes uh, simply reflecting the same. So it's the Lord who comes and reveals that he is God, that all the things that he is saying are true. And furthermore, another point that, that he himself connects is that this is good to remember whenever the cross comes. The scriptures tell us that our Lord was speaking with Moses and Elijah about the things that were to come, namely his passion. And as our Lord is descending with the apostles, he tells the three, he says, do not tell this to anyone until the Son of Man is risen from the dead. And so by the content of the Lord's conversation and the things that our Lord told them on the way down, the disciples were, were to remember this moment connected to the cross, connected to the resurrection, so that when that future event would come, although they didn't understand it yet, when that future event would come, as they understood it, they would remember the transfiguration, and they would remember what it all meant, namely, that Jesus wasn't, this wasn't kind of a surprise, that his death was not unforeseen, that it was part of the plan, that it was voluntary, that it was chosen even. This is the fact of things, to encourage the disciples when the cross and resurrection would come, rather than to have them be discouraged to lose faith. And so the transfiguration is an encouragement to the apostles in that particular sense. But there are also fruits that it shows to us and encourages us. Again, the fruit of this mystery is a desire for holiness. And the transfiguration itself, the, the things that are taking place, the content of that mystery, they lead us to holiness, and they lead us to desire that holiness. First, that they ascend upon a mountain. It's a common thing in the Scriptures for one who is going to pray to ascend the mountain because God is in the heavens. And so if you want God to be close to you and you close to Him, you go up the mountain. It's a simple, a simple concept, right? I think we can all understand that. And also the fact that an interesting thing is whenever you come into a church, the vast majority of the time when you enter a church, whether you are thinking about it or not, there are steps. There are steps to get into the church. There's a step to get into the sanctuary. There's a step to get up to the altar, to the tabernacle. And that's intentionally done as part of church architecture from the beginning is so that we can remember that we're ascending, we're going up the mountain to meet the Lord. That this is a place that's set aside from the rest of the world. This is a mountaintop, a place where we come and behold the glory of the Lord right here, every single mass. We can come and be in his presence. It's also to know that to climb a mountain and to descend a mountain are not quick and easy things unless you're on a 16-passenger bus. And most of us are not praying that way, right? Most of us, the reality is that, that it takes time for us. It takes time for us to pray. To be able to have that relationship, to be able to, 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 to make the time for God is, is a difficult thing sometimes, but it re it's a requirement for us. We have to make time for the Lord, make time for prayer. Additionally, the simple fact is that whenever one is ascending the mountain, it, it, again, it takes a while. And so this is also an analogy of the spiritual life itself, that we don't just begin the spiritual life and, and go pray really, really hard for 24 hours or so, and then we're, and then we're just, you know, saint, whatever our name is, and, and we just have it all together and everything is virtuous. That'd be amazing, but that's not the reality, is it takes 
a long time. This takes a steady, steady walk up the hill in the spiritual life to be able to, to continue to get to the top. And for us, there's never, there's never an end. There's always more that we can ascend. And so it's a simple fact that, that to become holy, to have holiness within us, it makes us, it forces us to make time for prayer as well as it takes time for that to be able to happen through the course of our life. The mystery also shows us exactly how we can gain this holiness, how it is that we can pursue holiness of life, that we can desire it and even attain it. The first point is the Eucharist, and the second is the sacred scriptures. First, the Eucharist. It is a common thing to have Eucharistic adoration in the church these days, thanks be to God. It is indeed uh, a source of, of immense grace, far beyond what I think any of us understand. And one of the, one of the common things that is done when, for Eucharistic adoration is the, the proper manner of exposition is to have upon the altar a little, a little square box, a little elevated box, essentially oftentimes it'll be kind of a nice gold, uh, gold design or have some designs or some jewels or these kinds of things on it. So it's, on a, it's elevated on top of the altar. And then the monstrance, which contains the Blessed Sacrament, is placed on top of that. The little elevated thing, the little box that's elevated, has a name, as everything in the church has a name, and it is called a tabor, as in Mount Tabor. And the the monstrance, whenever you look at a monstrance, the vast majority of them, they have our, our Lord in the center, and then oftentimes there are little, little rays or little points shooting off of it, or there's a circle, or there are these jewels and things that surround it, as if it's light shining, radiating from our blessed Lord. And this is simply to say that, that Mother Church has made it very, very clear for us, if we are willing to see and to know these things, that what we are beholding in Eucharistic adoration is exactly what Peter longed to stay to see. We're seeing our Lord on Tabor in his glory. The thing that Peter longed, that, that, that Peter was like, let's build three tents so we can stay put in this place, and it's going to be fantastic, Lord. And the Lord told Peter, no. But to every one of us, the Lord says, yes. Isn't that incredible? That we, if you want to go spend 24 hours with the Jesus Christ in the presence of the Blessed Sacrament, you can. We have numerous adoration chapels in our diocese. All over the place they're sprinkled. And you can just go, and you can just sit with the Lord as long as you please. Peter must be jealous of that. How incredible to be able to have our Lord with us every moment of the day where we can go and simply be with him. To be in Eucharistic adoration is to behold the glory of God in a veiled way, yes, but still, it's the exact same thing that Peter rejoiced to see and longed to stay in the presence of, and we can do it ourselves. Additionally, praying with the sacred scriptures, and I would suggest in the presence of the Blessed Sacrament, it's amplified. Our Lord, standing on the mountain, was, had Moses and Elijah at his side, Moses uh, the, being the law, Elijah being the fullness of the prophets, and the Lord himself being the word of God, the word that was spoken, and the fullness of the content of the New Testament. We have before our very eyes in the transfiguration, if you would like to see the glory of the Lord, know your scriptures. That's why St. Jerome would tell us, ignorance of scriptures is ignorance of Christ. But to know the scriptures is to know Christ, one can add. 
to be able to spend time reading the sacred word is to be able to encounter the Lord as well and to allow his holiness to sink within us. Whenever we spend time out in the sun, our skin responds. It changes in some manner. For people pale like myself, we turn bright, bright red and everything hurts afterwards, right? When you spend time in the presence of the Blessed Sacrament, our soul changes. Your soul received grace. Our Lord is just radiating himself to you. He's radiating his, his, his love to your soul, his grace to your soul, and it's changing you whenever you're in the presence of the Blessed Sacrament. But also whenever we read the sacred scripture, it changes our minds too. The things that we, the, the content that we take in changes us. We all know this. That's why we, if you watch a movie, you think about it later, you know, you think about it, you know, afterwards. If you listen to a song, it'll be stuck in your head. You'll be humming that tune for the next three days, perhaps. You know, these, there's these things that, that whenever input happens, it, it starts to just stay in kind of echo and, and it can come back in the most bizarre of times. But the exact same thing happens to holy things whenever we put them into our minds. When we read, when we read the sacred scriptures and allow the word of God to speak to us in a mind, it comes back at important times. In those times where we are, are, are experiencing difficulties or trials, if we frequently have recourse to the Word of God, God will frequently have recourse to using that Word to encourage us, to strengthen us. And so it's important for us to encounter the Word of God and to allow it to sink into our hearts, to sink into our minds and to transform us, to shape us, to think like Christ, to put on the mind of Christ in so many ways. This recount, this account of the transfiguration also encourages us to acknowledge the fact that we must be people of prayer in community and in solitude. You must be both. None of us can survive alone in the spiritual life. That's why the Lord demands of us to come and to join with the rest of the body of Christ to worship on Sundays. We must be part of a Christian community. A thumb by itself doesn't do any good, but attached to a hand and a body, it can be effective. This is for all of us. All of us must be members of the body, joined to the community of the church. But we must also be praying individually, because none of us also can be sustained only by communal prayer. We must have that one-on-one -on -one time with the Lord to be able to speak to Him in the quiet of our hearts and to allow Him to speak to us. Prayer, holiness of life, demands of us both. The transfiguration also is an encouragement to us when we go to pray, because there are times in a spiritual life that if one is persevering in the life of prayer, initially, very often, it will be the case that you get lots of warm fuzzies. When you go to pray the Lord, that, that there'll be the a sensible, tangible joy, there'll be a sensible peace that one can have, that, that the encounter with the Lord in the Eucharist and the scriptures and all these various things, they, they can leave us kind of a, an emotionally overwhelmed with joy, much like Peter on the mountain. But there are also times if one perseveres in prayer <clears throat> that one will come and you will pour out yourself entirely in prayer and will give everything to the Lord and you only get crickets in response. And you wonder, God, are you listening? Are you out there? You start to wonder whether he's out there, whether you're doing it right, whether things are as they are supposed to be. Something must be going wrong because things are not as they were. Therefore, something's wrong. We may be concerned because of, of dryness in our prayer, because prayer is more toilsome, that we don't seem to be able to reflect and meditate as easily as we have in the past, that we don't want to pray sometimes whenever we have uh, frequently desired to pray in the past. Sometimes we just don't want to go to the chapel. We don't want to go to Mass. 
We don't have a desire to do these things. And yet in the midst of all of that, it is to remember that the Lord is the Lord and he is still working. This is what the transfiguration also helps us to remember. It's just as our Lord gave it to the apostles so that they can remember when the cross and resurrection happened and tie it back and go, okay, things are not as they appeared with our Lord during his earthly life and they're not as they appear here and now. Something is different and I have to remember that because it won't feel like that. And the same thing is with our life of prayer. Is there are times whenever we're pursuing the path of holiness, when, when we're longing for holiness, but nothing seems to be happening. We may desire holiness, but it seems like everything is inside is empty, like we're fake, like we're false, like our prayer is useless and a wasted time. And the devil loves to be able to jump in exactly then and say, well, you might as well just do something else, change things up, maybe try something different. You know, there's these, all, all these fancy new age prayers that you can get out there, and they'll do all kinds of fun things that make you feel all kinds of stuff, right? And the Lord will use, and the, Lord, and the, the, the devil will use all of this to, to pull us away from the Lord. But the Lord, the Lord is here to show us through this mystery that if we're persevering in prayer, even if we feel nothing, even if it is difficult for us, whatever the case, God is still working. It's an absolute fact, a fact that whenever we go to pray, God is doing something. We may not feel it, we may not know it, we may not be able to understand it in the short term, the long term, or anything otherwise. But it is an absolute certainty that when we go to pray, God is at work in our soul. And for us to trust in this, to have faith in this, and to persevere in our prayer, and very often, the light will become once again but it's for us to persevere whenever the hard times in prayer come, mindful of the fact that things are not as they appear and that there is glory that we simply cannot see. And so, these and other things certainly could be added to our own reflections, our meditations upon this mystery of the transfiguration. But especially for us today, recognizing that the mystery is called to invite us to a desire for holiness, it's good for us simply to look to Peter, Peter, who, seeing the mystery, who, seeing the glory of the Lord, was filled with awe. He wanted to stay there. He wanted to allow that to, to, to just be in his presence continuously, not really in a selfish manner, but, but it was, he was essentially seeing what heaven is like and who would, who, would, who would want to leave, right? It was a little glimpse of the glory of God. And it's that that we, that we ought to imitate. And so as we offer this Holy Mass, is to especially ask St. Peter to intercede for us today, to pray that we might have a longing for holiness of life, or we might have a longing for the Lord, a longing for the life of prayer, a life of faith, as he himself longed for the Lord and longed to stay with him on that experience of the transfiguration. And so we offer that. We ask his particular intercession as we reflect on this mystery and we rejoice to behold that same exact mystery then today. Behold, once again, the face of God in the Holy Eucharist and the proclamation of his word.